James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, are you not a doer of the law? You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you are here worshiping with us tonight. If you're new to town or new to our church, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. I want to tell you a little bit about what we are about. We want to be people that know the gospel and believe the gospel and share the gospel because we believe that the gospel is good news for us and it's good news for others and it's good news for the world. In an effort to do that, this summer we're going through the book of James. And as you just heard read by Pastor Jeff, we are looking at the first 12 verses of James chapter 4. And once again, James starts a chapter. He started chapter 3 in a similar way. He starts the chapter with a question. Why can't we get along? A street-level, very lived question of why can't we get along? And whether we're thinking about friendships, or we're thinking about family relationships, we're thinking about race relations or geopolitical concerns, we see conflict and quarrels and fights and people asking the question, why can't we get along? Well, tonight as we open up the book of James, we are going to see James' answer for not only what's going on in our world, but also what's going on in our hearts. He's going to give us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and hopefully the move of the Spirit tonight, he's going to give us a diagnostic for what's going on in our world and also in our lives and hearts. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. God, we want to take you up on your offer to receive wisdom. The book of James tells us that if we lack wisdom, we can ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And God, we need wisdom because we struggle to get along. We struggle with the conflict we see in our hearts and in this world. And God, we need your help tonight. 
God, I pray that as we open your word, we would see wonderful things in your word and that you would speak. God, I pray that each one here tonight, including myself, would not just hear the words of uh, a human, but would really hear from you, God, and, and hear what you have to say to each one of us, and that you would answer this question for us and even more. God, we would be bold enough to say that you would change us tonight, you would show us what we need to see in our own hearts and in this world, and that you would use this time for your purposes. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Last week we looked at the end of chapter 3 where we read, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And we talked about how true wisdom leads to us knowing what righteousness is and knowing what peace is and then having the wisdom to do righteousness and peace in our world. Tonight we look at the opposite of wisdom and the opposite of peace we see what James tells us about a lack of peace. Tonight, we are going to take a look at the question of why we have fights and quarrels among us. That's how he starts this chapter. We're going to look at the reason for our conflict, our quarrels, our fights among us. We're going to look at two possible solutions that not only we can try, but we do try to overcome the fights and quarrels. And then we're going to look to the scriptures to answer the question, what do we do? What do we do about the conflict that we see in our world and in our hearts? So first, we start with the question. James 4, verse 1. If you haven't opened there already, please open with me. We're going to go through each verse here. James 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? This is the question. James gets to the heart of it right here. This is the question we have when we look at the world and when we look at our own lives. There is nothing more damaging, there is much, nothing more distracting, and at times there is nothing more deadly than conflict in personal relationships. We are made to have perfect relationship with our Creator God and with one another, but our lived experience or just opening up our phones or reading the news shows us that we don't have a perfect relationship with our Creator. We don't have a perfect relationship with one another. And there is nothing more damaging to our personal well-being or to our peace than the fights and quarrels among us. This is the question we have when we can't get along. This is the question we have when those who are supposed to help us hurt us. This is the question we have when we find ourselves getting in conflict after conflict after conflict. Nothing is quite as common and yet confusing as conflict in our lives and in our world. It is unavoidable. So we need a solution. Before we can get to the solution, though, James is going to help us understand the nature of this conflict. Because we need to know the nature of the conflict before we know how to go about fixing it. So what is the reason for our conflict? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's a classic spy movie trope. I love spy movies. I'm a sucker for spy novels or spy movies. And it's a classic plot line that some agency, some country, some team of people is trying to fight a battle. And no matter where they turn, they keep being subverted and they can't fully accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And whatever they're setting out to do keeps getting undercut and they just can't figure out how the enemy always knows what they're doing. 
Well, it's a, a classic plot line in these novels or in these movies or in these stories that there is someone on the good guy's team who is working for the bad guys. He is undercutting and subverting all that they're trying to do because they have an enemy within. That's what James wants us to realize. James wants us to realize that when we think of conflict, we immediately think of something external. He wants to show us that first we need to look at what's going on internally. When we're in conflict with others, we see it as an external battle. They did this, we did this, and now there's conflict. We see it as something external, but James says, no, first look internal. Here when he says your passions are at war within you, literally what he is saying is your pleasures are at war in the members of your body. Your pleasures are at war in every member of your body. There is something going on inside of you that is causing you to have quarrels and fights and conflicts among you. And he means this on a micro scale, whether it's siblings not being able to get along, all the way to geopolitical conflict where we see wars and fighting in our world. Our pleasures are at war inside the members of our body. He gives us another example of what happens when we give in to this internal struggle. Verse 2, you desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. First, we need to take a look at this word murder that he uses. He says that this fighting and quarreling can even lead to murder. Now, is James using hyperbole or like the ultimate example of what quarreling and fighting is? Well, I would say yes and no. First, he is going off of the teachings of Jesus. Also, John writes about this in 1 John. Jesus tells us that if we have anger in our heart towards our brother or sister, then we have murdered them in our heart already. John in 1 John says the same thing. So here, James is pointing us to a reality that we have conflict in our hearts. If it turns to coveting, if it turns to hatred, if it turns to anger— if we're consistently thinking about how much we dislike that other person, it is like committing murder in our hearts. As we go throughout this passage, we'll see more on that. But he is also pointing us to the reality that if we give over to anger and envy and bitterness and quarrels and fights and conflict, it can lead to a really bad place, even to the place of murder, war, and killing. Then he brings up this idea of coveting. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. We want something. Coveting means we want something and we can't stop thinking about it. It means wanting something that God has given to someone else and then wanting it for ourselves and wanting it now and in the way we define. This idea of coveting or jealousy or envy, it's all a very similar concept in Scripture. This is something that scripture takes very, very seriously. In John chapter 12 and in Mark chapter 15, both John and Mark say that it was envy that ultimately led the Pharisees to give over Jesus for his crucifixion. There were many motivations that could be given to them, but John and Mark both say it was envy for Jesus 
that made them make the final call that we're going to turn this guy over to the authorities, ultimately for his crucifixion. In the book of Acts and also the book of Philippians, Paul says that he persecuted the church out of envy, out of jealousy. It's what led him to persecute the church. The book of First Clement, which is not in uh, the canon of scripture, but was written by Clement, who was a bishop of Rome. He wrote like a third letter to the Corinthians that didn't make the cut to be in scripture for multiple reasons, but was used as a religious text by early Christians. It was written very early, either in the first century or the very beginning of the second century. And the church would read First Clement to many of the churches that we see listed in the New Testament. They would read it. And he says that jealousy led the Jews to kill Jesus' followers in the first century. This idea of jealousy, coveting, envy. The Bible takes it very seriously. And here James is doing the same. He gets to the heart of the matter. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. James here is telling us we are looking for what we need and want in all the wrong places. This seems like a divergent topic here, and in just a minute we are going to learn some principles about prayer, but ultimately James is putting this in this section because our coveting, our quarrels, our envy, even our hatred and anger, it's because we're not getting something that we think we need. Or maybe we even know we need it, and we do need it, but when we lack it, we don't go to the right place to get it. So we fight and we quarrel against other people. Here's the way it plays out. We have a conflict in our heart, and that conflict is ultimately with God. We're not getting what we think we need from this world, and ultimately we feel like we're not getting what we think we need from God. So we have a conflict with God, but it feels kind of wrong to have a conflict with God and we don't want to be angry with God. So we divert that conflict. We divert that anger, that envy, that quarrelsome nature, and we direct it towards other people. And then that internal conflict that's going on inside of us, we point at every external factor we can think of as long as we don't have to take the blame. Road rage is not us, it's other stupid drivers, right? Our lack of patience, I see some head nods and some amens for that one. Our lack of patience is not our fault. It's the dumb lines at high V or Target and they don't know how to make the lines go quicker. We have an internal conflict. There's a lack of the fruit of the spirit or a lack of righteousness or justice in our own heart. But instead of owning that, we point at external people and external factors. Because ultimately, we think we need something and we're not getting it. And so we blame others for it. That's what James is saying. He says, instead of that, you should be asking. Back to this idea of asking. James mentions again, this is, he's going to mention it four times in a book with only five chapters. That we don't have things because we're not asking God in faith for them. We're looking for help in the wrong place. We instinctually know that in this life, we don't always have everything that we need. But instead of looking to God and asking the only one that can provide it for us, we try to get it from other people. And when they don't give it to us, we have conflicts and fights and quarrels. 
we instinctually know that we don't have everything we need because we have been hurt in the past and we have hurts that we know need to be met. We have not had perfect relationships with the people in our life that are supposed to love us and we are supposed to love. And also nothing in this world is meant to ultimately satisfy us. So when our marriage or our kids or our money or lack thereof or our job or the things of this world, the pleasures of this world, when they don't satisfy, we can turn to coveting and we can turn to quarrels and blaming other people that we're not getting what we need when instead James says, ask. We're supposed to ask God. Jesus also tells us to ask for the things that we need. And James tells us we don't have because we don't ask. The book of James gives us three reasons that we don't get what we need from God. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's the one that James gives us for sure. The first one is we don't ask. First off, we just plain don't ask. I mentioned this last week, but often, I think probably always, actually, we try to fix our problems by human means more than we ask God to fix them. We try to solve the problem. We try to heal ourselves. We try to fix the thing. We try to get the strength. We try to solve our problems. I know for me, I worry about things and am anxious about things more than I pray about things most of the time. So first, we don't get what we need and we don't get what we think we need because we don't ask God about it. This is something that James is going to face head on And in fact, it's how he's going to close the book of James. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18 will be our last sermon in the series. It'll be on August 14th. And it's all about asking in faith for the things that you need in the church, including your physical healing. We're going to talk about prayer and we're going to talk about faith and we're going to talk about healing on August 14th. And we are also going to start having a prayer team here at Grace, where after the service each week, there will be men and women standing up front here that are ready to pray for you. And any needs, any healing, any requests that you have, we're going to obey the scriptures and ask God for the things that we need. So that's something that's going to start on August 14th. So first, we don't have because we don't ask. Second, because we doubt. James chapter 1 verses 6 through 8 and chapter 5 verses 14 through 15 says sometimes we don't receive what we ask for because we doubt. We may say the words, we may utter the words out loud, but we don't believe that God can really do it. And then third, we ask for the wrong reasons. And in fact, James says here we use it to spend it on our passions. There's a problem there. Because we've just been told in verse 1 that our passions, our pleasures are at war within us. So here very concretely is what this looks like. This is what James is telling us. I'm going to use a very concrete and real and kind of everyday life example. We get in a conflict with our roommate and instead of evaluating our own heart, we say, God, fix my roommate. That's what James is talking about here. And sometimes God doesn't fix our roommate because he's trying to do a work in us first. We're just asking for something that we think we need to spend it on our passions. Because remember, our passions, our pleasures are at war within us. And we want to win. We want to win that conflict. We want to win that 
quarrel that's among us. Remember, we covet, we want something. So even sometimes we ask God, but we're asking him selfishly to feed our passions that are at war within us. James is about to give us some very strong language for when we live this way. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or you do not suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. You adulterous people. This seems like a very harsh accusation that James is making against the church. But this idea of adultery in our relationship with God is one that is God himself uses time and time and time again in the Old Testament. Because the thing is that he made a covenant with his people. God made a covenant in the Old Testament with his people. And it was a one-sided covenant. He did the work. He did the work on their behalf. He bought them, though they were of no account of themselves, not because they were great or wise or large. He bought them for himself. He entered into a relationship with them, but then he accuses them of going astray, of chasing after other husbands, of chasing after other loves besides him. So James is saying that's the kind of behavior that we're displaying when our passions are at war within us. We ask God to spend on those passions. We're coveting what is not ours. And we're not asking God for the things that we need. And we're trying to get it for ourselves. James calls that adultery of heart. He says instead of having our marriage with God, our covenant with God at the center of our lives, we actually have made a friendship with the world. This idea of friendship with the world, he's not saying don't be friends with people in this world. We know that from scripture and evidence from the Bible and how God's people were to treat the world around them and the people around them. But he's saying instead of leaning into our relationship with God, we instead are giving over to our passions and we are giving over to a friendship with the world instead of a covenant with God. And when we have this friendship with the world, it now becomes enmity with God. Now we are starting to put opposition towards God. And now in our hearts, we are starting to have a quarrel with God. That's what he's telling us here. Then in verse 5, he is saying that there is a war within us because God is yearning after the spirit which he has placed within us. God desires a relationship with you. God desires a relationship with us. God desires to be God of our life. But there's a war within us because we live in a body of flesh. So if we are in Christ, the spirit of the living God lives in us, but we live in a body of decay, a body of flesh. So there's a war going on. This is what Romans chapter 7 is about and and Paul describes for us. I know the thing I ought to do, but I find myself not doing. And I know the thing I ought not to do, but I find myself doing it anyway. Who will deliver me from this body of flesh? That's Paul talking about what James is talking about right here. There's a war going on within us. There's something inside of us that is subverting the mission that we are on, that God wants us to be on, and it's our passions at war within us. 
Instead of turning to God in our time of need, we turn to things that were never meant to satisfy because of this war going on inside of us. We can think about it this way. When we are in love with the world, we will not have the proper affection for God. When we are in love with the world, we will not have proper affection for God. That's what James is saying. But conversely, if we love God, we will have the proper affection for the things of this world. We'll have a right relationship with the things of this world only when we first have a right relationship with God. We get this all backwards. We try to use the things of this world, the things that were never meant to satisfy, we use them to try to satisfy us and then we lose sight of God and we lose both. We lose true pleasure and true goodness and true satisfaction and we now have enmity with God. That's what James is saying here. So, what do we do about this? What do we do about this problem, this conflict? Well, there's two ways that we go about it. We already go about it in one of these two ways. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. First solution is to be proud. One way that we try to solve this problem is we try pride. Meaning we dig our heels in deeper. We stand more firm in our position. We blame more things external. And we dig deeper in and continue to fight for ourselves, our way, the things that we need to spend it on our passions. And we go deeper and deeper into blame. We go deeper and deeper into pride. We go deeper and deeper into sin. And we grow deeper and deeper into enmity with God. And we're told God's posture towards the proud. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. I don't know about you, but when I read about the God that this Bible, his word, describes for me, I don't want him in opposition to me. I want him on my team. But when we stand in pride, when we get deeper and deeper entrenched in our pride, God opposes us. He can have nothing to do with us when we are digging our heels into more and more and more pride. The only person that God can't save and help is the man or woman who says, God, I don't need you. So that's one solution. To dig our heels in to pride. But there's another solution, and it's grace and humility. But he gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you know what we need for our conflict? You know what we need for our idolatrous, adulterous hearts? You know what we need for our internal war with our passions? We need more grace. We need more help. We need more of our life and more of our sentences to end with, but he gives more grace. But we can't receive it if we stick with pride. We have to go with the only solution that helps, the only solution that helps, and that's grace. 
and we receive it through humility by saying we need help. When we ask God for help, when we ask God for wisdom, when we ask God for peace, he gives it. You know what the end of every conflict is? It's not resolution based on agreement, it's humility. Humility and repentance is what ends conflict. When you walk in humility and you're repentant, then you can see what the actual solution is. We don't, we're not good at solving problems when it comes to conflict because there's a war within us that's going on. And as soon as we solve or have one piece of peace in a relationship, we just move on to the next conflict because there's an internal war going on. There's passions and pleasures at war in the members of our body. So we need grace and humility to be able to even see what the conflict started with. Have you ever had conflict with someone and it gets so deep and so far down the line you don't even remember where it started? If you're married, the answer is yes, you do. You know what I'm talking about. But maybe you've had this with roommates or with parents or with coworkers where you get further and further down the line with conflict and you don't even remember why it started. It's humility and repentance and grace that gives you the ability to see what started all this and to deal what's going, with what's going on in your own heart. So what do we need to do to receive this grace and kill this pride? James gives us step by step what we need to do to walk in grace. He's going to supply for us the implications of this text or the application or the to-dos that come from these principles that we're talking about here tonight. Each verse has a little bit of wisdom for us. First, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. What is the therefore, therefore? We submit ourselves to God because he gives grace to the humble. Because he gives more grace. Because he gives grace to the humble, we submit ourselves to him. We lay down our rights, we lay down our conflict, we lay lay down our weapons, and we submit ourselves to him. We say, God, whatever you want, God, whatever you want to do, God, even if I have to be the one that says I'm wrong here, I'm going to submit to you. And conversely, we resist the devil. We resist the devil. This is what our ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve, did not do in the garden. They did not resist the devil and the devil continued to draw them in and they saw, they delighted and they ate in the fruit that God said was not for them. They did not resist the devil. They did not submit themselves to God and it led to sin. Now by our nature and choice, we are born into that family. But when we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, We receive grace and we walk in freedom and joy. And then it says, we draw near to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And action is needed to submit ourselves to God. And James tells us here that we need to draw near to God. We do this by humbling ourselves. That's what we've just learned. We humble ourselves and then we can hear from God's word, spirit, and people. We can see what he is trying to tell us about our own hearts and the way this world works. And we cannot 
fully humble ourselves until we receive clean hands and a pure heart, right? So if we have passions at war in the members of our body, we need to be purified. We need to be purified so we can see things clearly to see what am I contributing to this conflict with God and others. So James tells us how to do that. He tells us, when he tells us to be wretched and mourn and weep, he's telling us to lament our sin and repent of our sin in order to receive grace from God. Be wretched, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's telling us to take an accurate assessment of what's going on in our own heart and repent and lament and confess any sin that we see in our own heart. And this is how we humble ourselves before the Lord. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James is telling us the true way to be exalted. We try to exalt ourselves by sitting on the throne of our own lives. We try to exalt ourselves by being right in any and all conflict. We try to exalt ourselves by digging our heels into more and more pride and trying to fix more and more problems in our life and in our world and in our relationships. But here, James tells us that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, then he will exalt you. He is the one that does the exalting. The true way to be lifted up in the eyes of God is to first lower yourself. And we see this most vividly in Jesus, who though in the very nature God did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he took the form of a slave and he emptied himself. What the first Adam failed to do, the second Adam did. We're just saying he is the true and better Adam. Hebrews uses this language of the second Adam accomplished what the first Adam failed to do. The first Adam, he did not resist the devil. He gave in to the devil. But the second Adam, Jesus, submitted himself to the will of the Father for you and for me. And we look to him and we see how he was exalted. It was by lowering himself. He concludes this section in verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Here, James is putting a cap on a section that started in James chapter 3, where he tells us the danger of the tongue. Though God gave us our tongue to worship God, we use it to do great evil. The tongue is very powerful and it's powerful to praise God and to give life, but we use it for our own purposes. So he tells us, do not speak evil against one another. And then he concludes this section by saying, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the opposite of loving our neighbor which is what we've been told by Jesus and James to do, to love our neighbor. And here he says, don't judge your neighbor, which is the opposite. Here's how this works. We get into this mess right here in these verses that James is describing with pride that turns to judging. And then our mouth shows what is really in our heart. And then we cause quarrels and fights among us. While we're called to bless our world through demonstrating and declaring the gospel while we're called to love our neighbor. Instead, we turn to a place of judging our neighbor 
because of the pride within. James here in this passage is telling us that there is only one throne in our life. There's only one king. There's only one God. There's only one that can rule and reign in our hearts because there's a war going on in the very members of our body. Our passions, our pleasures are at war within us. And there's only one throne in our hearts. And only one person can sit on the throne at a time. Here, James is saying that either we sit on the throne and try to run our own lives, and that causes the quarrels and fights among us, or we allow Christ to sit on the throne. We give him his rightful place on the throne to rule and reign our life, and we submit ourselves to him, and he shows us what wisdom and peace and grace and humility is all about. Do you see some of this mess that James is describing tonight, not just in our world, but in your own heart? It needs to start with you and I giving Jesus back his seat on the throne of our hearts because only he is qualified to rule and reign our lives. If we try to rule and reign our lives, we get exactly what we ask for and it's a mess. When we try to run our life, it is a mess. But he gives more grace. If you have made a mess of things, if other people have made a mess of things with fighting and quarreling in your life, he gives more grace. If you are in conflict right now with people you love, he gives more grace. If you feel so confused and so upside down in one or more meaningful relationships in your life, he gives more grace. If that war in the flesh that Paul describes and James is talking about here, if you feel like you're losing that battle day by day by day, he gives more grace. And he is worthy of our lives and he is worthy of our praise. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says this about the first and second Adam. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of of heaven. Due to the first Adam giving in to the call of Satan and the temptation of Satan, we are born in the image of the man of dust. But here, the author of 1 Corinthians tells us because of what Christ has accomplished and because he gives more grace, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ himself. We need his image implanted on our life. We need his ways guiding our ways. And we need to receive grace that only he can give. Would you pray with me to that end? Jesus, we need grace. Jesus, we confess we only receive grace and help in our time of need from you. God, show us that our battle is really not with others. It is really not external. It is something going on within. And Jesus, you are the only one that can fix it. Jesus, you always did the will of the Father. You succeeded where the first Adam failed. And Jesus, you have poured out your grace, forgiveness, mercy, and wisdom on our lives. And Jesus, we pray that we would have the faith to receive that, to ask for that, to walk in that today. God, would you guide our steps? 
God, would you give us wisdom for the day? God, would you help us? Especially those that feel just upside down and sideways in relationships and they don't know where everything went wrong. God, would you help? God, would you give your wisdom? Jesus, would you give more grace to us? God, may we be a people of unity. May we be a people of peace. May we be a people that looks to bless one another. May we be a people who points one another towards the goodness of our Savior. And Jesus, I pray that others would know that we are your disciples by the love we have for one another, by the unity, by the peace that we experience. God, thank you for the people in this church. Thank you for each one here. Thank you for how I see us loving one another. Jesus, it is only by your grace. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Want to talk about one more thing before we go here tonight, and that's our biblical community here. Uh, it's really the backbone of what we do here is biblical community in the form of community groups. Community groups are a people that love each other, that want to spend more time together, studying God's word together, sharing their life together, blessing one another as they look to bless the world, reminding each other of the good news of the gospel. And we do that in community groups. This is the season where we sign up for community groups. We uh, delete everyone's name off the roster of our community groups and start over. So we need everybody to sign up for community groups. Uh, the signups officially started Wednesday when you got the email about it. Thank you for the four of you that signed up. Um, <laughs> we have a ways to go. Uh, so we need everybody to sign up. A lot of you are staying in the same group you've been in. That's great. Please sign up. Uh, it will help us to be organized. It will help us get you timely information. We have groups that have changed nights. We have groups that have changed leaders. We have groups that have changed locations. And you need all that information. And so clicking on that sign up link, giving us your information real quick, will get you that information in a timely fashion. There is a computer set up in the back tonight, so you could even do it tonight. It takes like less than a minute. You give us your name, email address, click on the group you're joining, and that's it. And then you'll get the information that you need. So uh, you'll be able to do that in person here the next two Sundays. You'll also be able to do that via the weekly email that happens the next couple of weeks. So we'll give you a lot of prompts. We'll give you a lot of reminders. Um, the new community groups will start meeting in their new locations, new leaders, all the things, the week of August 22nd. So uh, that's the timeline we're working with here. So please sign up over the next couple of weeks. Um, if you're already in a community group, if you're not in a community group, if you're staying, if you're changing, whatever the case may be, please go ahead and sign up. Would you stand with me? We end each service on our feet as our declaration, as our commitment to God that we want to obey him with our hands and our feet and our very lives and not just with our words, not just with our songs, not just what we do here on Sunday night, but we do without, throughout the week as well. And tonight I want to pray that we would be his good news people and that we would welcome people to our community well that are moving to town over the next few weeks and that we would show the love of Christ through our deeds and through our words. Would you join me in that prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have here living in Iowa City to welcome new people to town every year. And God, we pray that we would be a hospitable, loving people uh, that would welcome people in the same way Christ has welcomed us, that we would comfort with the same comfort that we have received from Christ. And, and God, ultimately, that we would be people of peace and love 
and truth and God grace that we would show that to people in our words and in our actions. Show us how we may do that. Show us how we may be a practical help to help people moving in, uh, providing anything that's needed. God, we pray that we would be your good news people and we would communicate the good news even with the smile on our face as we welcome new people to our community. God, thank you for speaking tonight. God, we uh, believe that you want to continue to speak to us as we go into this week and we pray that you would go before us and behind us and that you would speak to us through your word spirit and people this week as we try to be your good news people in jesus name we pray amen